0: Okay, welcome back, everybody, to the first episode of Immunology and Beyond, when we get to sit down with Dr. Amy Gilgrass and discuss with her her journey to becoming a faculty at the McMaster Immunology Research Center, which is where we all actually work. Anna and myself are currently doing our graduate uh, master's studies with Dr. Ali Ashkar, and Dom is...
1: I'm also doing my master's with Dr.
0: Juan. Yes, and I guess... Uh, the reason that we started this podcast was mainly because we love to talk about science and what better excuse to talk about it than have a microphone and go and tell professors, hey, we want to do a podcast, but we also want to get to talk to you. So we found this to be a great experience because we get the chance to sit down with pretty much experts within their own fields and just have them for an hour and ask them any questions that we find will be interesting to you guys and ourselves as well.
1: Yeah. And also like as grad students, we're trying to figure out um, what path I want to carve for myself, so I think this podcast is really cool in that you get to hear from different perspectives, different people who have taken different paths um, to get to where they want to get to, so it's exciting.
0: Yeah, and what better way to start off the whole podcast than by interviewing Dr. Amy Gilgrass, who in fact is just a brand new faculty at McMaster Immunology Research Center and who can talk to us about her journey through academia and ended up in a faculty position.
1: Yeah, Amy has actually been a trainee at McMaster and did her undergraduate at McMaster, so McMaster has played a big role in her trajectory as a researcher to her position now, so it's going to be really interesting to see her viewpoint on that. Right, and Dr. Gilgrass also takes some unconventional paths to where she got to, so her interview is really insightful and she's really honest.
0: Without further ado, we would like to introduce Dr. Amy Gilgrass. Thanks again for having us. First, we'd like to congratulate you on having your position as a researcher. Well, oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> How long has it been? It's been a year, right? It's been almost, yeah,
2: just just slightly, a couple days over a year at this yeah. point. Yeah. Yes. It's very
1: exciting.
2: Yeah, definitely. First year under my belt. So,
0: having gotten here to becoming a researcher at Merck, right? Uh, you were a trainee here before, so I was just wonder if you can speak a little more about like your trajectory here. Did you think you were going to get here at some point? Was that your goal, or you just kind like, of like follow opportunities as they came?
2: Okay, yeah, that's that's a really good question, and I think I am a good person to talk to about this because I think my career trajectory maybe has been a little non-traditional, possibly, mm-hmm. although maybe more traditional now. I think as we realize all the different things we can do. So, yeah, I, I did it in my undergrad here actually, right? Uh, and then I did my master's degree, uh, actually in medical sciences, yes. with uh, cancer, molecular biology, and genetics stream. Uh, I really loved this, but at the time, my professor moved to Montreal. So oh, no. I was going to convert to my PhD. Like, I was doing great. I loved my project. It was really interesting. It was cancer based, but then then he decided to move to Montreal, and I had just gotten married, right? So I, I guess uh, you can see in, in my story that life. And my desire to do great science have always competed with each other. And and I've had to make compromises here and there for different things. So, you know, I knew I wanted to do a PhD, uh, but I got married and I actually decided at that time that it was time to uh, start my family. Uh, And but this was a difficulty because I'd seen so many graduate students go through and Mm -hmm. I saw people having their babies during their Ph.D. or having their, you know, and and it was very difficult on them. So Mm -hmm. I didn't really want to be doing my Ph.D. while I had children. So I actually worked for several years as a uh, research assistant in a lab. I didn't want to leave science because I knew I was coming back to science. Mm -hmm. And actually, during this time, I actually affectionately call it my first PhD, because really, like, when I went to the lab, I told them, like, I want to do my PhD, like, you know, this, I'm doing something in science, but I want to, you know, have time to have children and and do these kind of things. So, you know, I got a great supervisor who allowed me to, you know, I wrote papers, I went to conferences, it was, you know, I I got lots of fantastic experience, you know, I supervised students and did all that kind of thing. And all
0: you have that balance Mm -hmm. between, like, life and, like, also keep your work.
2: Yes, and I had two children during that time, you know, had my uh, maternity leave, etc. Uh, but then as soon as my kids were old enough to go to daycare, I was back on the PhD track and looking for the next opportunity. And that's when I joined the Ashkar lab actually to do my PhD. And this was really seminal for me, because I had done a lot of immunology work and virology work, as a research assistant so i wanted to see something that could combine my cancer research and my immunology research which is what i did in ali's lab so i did cancer immunotherapy models for breast cancer so i I did my phd really loved it uh you know supervised lots of great students and uh, again uh, ali was great because he really allowed me that freedom to you know explore all the different scientific concepts i was interested in as well so, I finished my PhD and did, then I went to my postdoc, and for my postdoc, I kind of wanted something more translational. Mm-hmm. So, I felt like I had a huge amount of basic research experience, which I had at this point, right? Like, yes. I had my time as a research assistant, then my PhD, and I had a master's in a different area. So, I mm-hmm. really had a lot of uh, different areas of knowledge. Uh, so I wanted to see how this could be translated uh, into the human side. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went uh, to a pathologist up at the Jervinsky Cancer Center and did a project looking at the immune system and how it relates to breast cancer, uh, again, in hu- human triple negative breast cancer samples. You know, so this was very interesting to me, but at the same time, it really made me disgu- realize that, you no, know, I really liked the basic science yes. more than... Like, translation is great yes. uh, but it's it's just a different kind of I- idea right you're 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 somewhat limited in what you can get when you're working with hem- human specimens, right? Whereas I felt like I could uh, answer more questions in the basic research. Yeah,
0: you you have you can get into the itty gritty of the pathways and kind of how everything works. It's kind of like you know something happens and there's an end result, but you kind of are more interested in what happens in between that, right? You
2: got it. Yeah, you couldn't like it was almost impossible to ask those questions, yes. right, from from uh, human samples. So yeah, I, I definitely uh, knew that I wanted to come back to basic research. So at this time. I was actually looking, started looking for PI positions. So I did get uh, several interviews at several different places. But as my postdoc was coming to an end, I hadn't, you know, I, I was never the first person at these interviews. So um, I decided, you know, to look for other options. And this is when I actually got an industry position mm-hmm. in their R and D uh, section. And, you know, I think people who knew me were a little surprised because they knew I've always wanted to go into academia. Yeah. But you will find, you know, like as I described, I already have a family. We're all based here. I I couldn't move far around the the world. Uh, And this is a challenge because there's only so many PI positions in Canada at any given time. When you look at like immunology positions maybe one a year in ontario say Mm -hmm. uh you know like like sometimes two you know (laughs) like in an exciting year so there's you can apply for everything but there's there's just not a a, you you can't just wait for that opportunity right so Mm -hmm. and and this opportunity was uh looking at oncolytic viruses as cancer immunotherapies which really fit in with a lot of the interests that I had, so I was excited to join. You know, I was there for over a year and a half, and you know, I really enjoyed this. We can talk about this more later. But then, when this position was advertised from McMaster, I knew uh, it, it was in infectious disease and in immunology, which is actually what I did as a research assistant, and I continued on the virology and the immunology all throughout my various projects. So I but I knew that I, I wanted to apply for this and was really, really excited to to get it. So that's kind of been my career in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I, I think slightly different than some, but uh you know, I think that is one of my messages is if you want something enough you you can, you know, you have to follow the opportunities but yes. you can also you know keep going for for what your dream was you know and i will say right when i was in second year university uh, maybe third year was when i decided i wanted to be a pi so it's really exciting after all this time to look
1: actually look back on that and see how far you've come so yes
2: fun, right? for sure for sure
1: anything yeah. something interesting about your trajectory is as woman in science you have this option of when do you have kids right when do you put aside like your ambitions to start a family yeah
2: I it is it, i'm very uh, supportive of women in su- science for sure uh it's it's uh, one of my aims is to support that because i do realize how difficult mm-hmm. it can be to you know do everything you want to do mm-hmm. right and uh it's it's definitely not an easy career path to go down in science right there is no good time to that, yeah. to take that break to do that and uh so yeah that's that's it's something i hope people learn from my story too is that you you can do all of these things if if you had that desire to.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What we want to hear a little bit about is just what you're working on right now. Um, we know that you're working uh, in studying HIV and TB co-infection. Yes. Uh, I think it's in humanized mice. Yes. Yes.
2: Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So. As I mentioned, right, the, the position here was in infectious disease and looking at immunology and infectious disease. This is an area that McMaster has a lot of expertise in, right? We yeah. have uh, some really great HIV researchers, a great TB researcher, and Charakashik and Zosing. And, and putting the two together might be a new thing for a lot of people, actually. Yeah but it's, it's really amazing that it is a new thing when you look at the global scope of this issue, right? So, so we know uh, HIV, right? There's almost 40 million people infected with HIV. TB, the numbers are even more uh, staggering, right? One, third, one quarter to one third of the world's population actually has latent TB, TB yeah. right? And there's just more than 10 million activated cases of TB a year uh, with over 1.5 million deaths. Okay, Uh, and if you look at the incidence of HIV and TB, they unfortunately coincide coincide geographically. Yeah. Right, and the majority of these uh, infections occur in Africa. Okay, Uh, so what happens is that HIV, uh, so if you have HIV, you're actually like 19 to 20 times more likely to develop active TB. Yeah. Right? And and the problem is that these two, well, this virus and this bacteria, both target the immune system. Mm -hmm. So that's that's especially where my interest lies, because it's really... You know, that the interactions between the two are, are extremely complex. Right. We don't really understand how one affects the other, but we know they make both worse. Mm-hmm. So if you have uh, co infection, the HIV uh, proceeds more rapidly, the TB goes to active infection uh, much more rapidly. You know, and th- there's a lot of these co associations that people are struggling to understand, really. Mm-hmm. So that there comes the humanized mouse model, right? Mm-hmm. So HIV doesn't infect normal mice. It only infects human cells. So I'm going to make a model of humanized mice uh, that actually also expresses uh, human HLAs. Uh, and then we engraft these mice with matching cord uh, blood stem cells and uh, this allows the development of great, well, a, a very good engraftment of the human <laughs> immune cell great to me, but it, uh, it, they're, not, yeah. they're not human, but uh, they develop great T cell responses. They can even get uh, B cell isotype switching. So we get oh. antibody production oh, in wow. this kind of updated, humanized mouse model. Uh, this will be a really great, you know, methodology to look at these HIV TB co-infections. So, we've seen previously that this could, that humanized mouse models work very well for HIV infection and show this the, uh, the typical CD4 T-cell infection and non-regulation. Yep. There's also been studies looking at uh, that TB can work in humanized mouse models as well. So there's only been one group that's actually done TB-HIV co-infections before. Uh, so there's one published paper, So and it's in the, the U.S., and I hope to be the, the second group, uh, and Canada. the only one in Canada, yes. who can develop this model. So the kind of things we want to look at with this, right, is those immune interactions. So how, how does one affect the others? And looking at immune readouts, right, what happens to the CD4 T cells that are specific to T when are infected with
0: HIV. It sounds super complicated. Yeah. <laughs> but very, very, very interesting. Yeah. Definitely. So developing, because I guess you said that there's only been one paper published yeah. on, on the co-infection humanized mice. Humanized I'm mice, guessing yeah. developing this whole pipeline here at the university has been, like... It's been very interesting, and I'm guessing you've learned quite a bit, especially like getting the level three axis and yes, developing the yeah. model. And is that something that that's been very easy, or is there something that
2: certainly it takes a lot more time than you might expect, right? Yeah. And I realize also that as a graduate student and even as a postdoc, you're you're very insulated from that part of it, right? Yes. Like you really just you know you do your work and you you know you don't think about the fact that what someone had to apply like four months earlier to get approval to do yeah. this. And then we had to, you know, go through PHEC and, the B, uh, you know, put on your BUP and then get your, you know, students trained in this area. And, uh, yeah, I would say that's, that's the biggest challenge to starting up a new lab, especially in these areas where you do need a lot of approvals. It, it just takes a lot of time and a, a lot of effort, right, mm-hmm. to, uh, to just get into level three, right? I think most people it takes at least six months to get oh, wow, that from long, eh? started to end to actually doing work within there so yeah that that has been a challenge uh you know to to get that all started especially for a project like this it's just making the humanized mice uh is a difficult method to do right like not everyone can do this part and then you know getting people ready to do hiv work and getting people ready to go tv work is is the next kind of big challenge and like right now we're at the part where we have our mouse model set up and we're starting to humanize mice that's like, awesome so we're uh we're getting there yes. um, and you know and then we're training in the HIV I've done all the training for the level three and all that too so I'm ready to go but now I have to get my team ready to go too
1: as an UPI you have to delve into the both sides of just doing the research at the bench but then also like handling all that paperwork and like yes. doing those together at the same time I imagine like must yes be. well
2: and then you add in the grand- Grants. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone knows the funding situation. Yeah. Just about everywhere, not just Canada, mm-hmm. is quite difficult right now. So you have to apply to lots of grants, you know, in the hope that you get a, a couple. Uh, that that also, you know, is probably one of the challenges is the thought that you have to keep working at this. And you're right, like as a new PI, right, I'm the one who knows how to do everything. So I, I have to also be doing that as well as the administrative side yeah. yeah so yeah there's a lot of different parts to it
0: i guess like yeah the administrative side is like completely uh new especially like person to like when you're in graduate school you're just focusing on the research and now you have to apply for grants and everything what are some and, things that you found that were helpful that you can apl- that you still take today and apply during your current position besides just the skills and what are things that you feel that you were not as prepared for
2: so when i look back and, and think really has prepared me for this is that, you know, I had PIs who let me plan and figure out my experiments fully myself. Yes. You know, like, they, they were always there to talk. They all, You know, they were always supportive. Uh, but I would would do that whole part myself mm-hmm. and I think as a you know as a PI now setting up my lab like yeah. I'm so glad I have that background right you know one of the things that I would say to students is learn as many techniques as you can yeah. and yeah. as many areas as you can because this will help you long term and, and I find that's for sure true because you know I write a grant on this area and then I have to write a grant on this area, you know, in the next month, right? And, and having that background and that knowledge of how to plan the experiments yeah, is is useful. Now, in terms of things they don't really prepare you, they don't really, like, I don't think graduate school really prepares you for, you know, the, while it's not a business, it really is a business. Like I have to do budgets all the time, oh, wow. yeah. and sale. Like I have to meet with salespeople and figure out contracts to get deals. So it's deals like a small business almost. Right? It really is, yeah. right? And and I think we don't really focus on in graduate training at all, really. You know, I know students are busy, right? It's hard to, to get everything in there. Uh, but certainly, if you go this route, you have to be able to um, you know manage a whole team. But that's another thing. I think grad school does prepare you well or gives you the chance to be able to manage uh, some of the younger students or, or thesis students. And I think that's a great experience for graduate students to have, because no matter what your position in the future is going to be, most likely you're going to have to mentor or manage you know, a group of people. So I think that really helps prepare you to work in that kind of team environment yeah. and to lead the team. And so I, I think graduate school did prepare me quite well for that. Like, I felt I was always working in a team. Yeah. I always Maybe because I had such great labs, too, that really worked together mm-hmm. and, and could, you know, accomplish a lot with that, mm-hmm. right? And you could be part of all different things. And uh, so I, I think that really does does help prepare you for being a PI, perhaps. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I guess one thing would be that, because you were exposed to so many groups, you just learned so many valuable like skills of working with different people, that when you develop your lab, you just know so much about so many different things that you could pretty much take it wherever you wanted to.
2: Yes, that is definitely, the- Definitely true. And like, I know a lot of people might get through graduate school and everything, right? Only mm-hmm. being in one, yeah. but hopefully, then postdoc, or you usually have one or two postdocs, right? So that could uh, expose you to different environments. But I do think it's very useful to have exposure to multiple lab environments. You know, like in each one, you see something you really like, something that wouldn't work for you. Mm-hmm. And I think it does help craft you into knowing how you want to do things yeah. in your own lab. So, yeah, exposure. To many different areas I think is a super useful thing to do so even if you're in your same lab that whole time hopefully you can collaborate closely with some other labs Mm -hmm. and I know you guys get to you know you get to know a lot of other students too right so you do hear kind of what works in their lab and what doesn't work in their lab through that too so that's that's good exposure as well.
1: And I guess that also helps with networking for the future right? Getting those connections.
2: For sure. It is super important right and You know, I I think getting that group of people who think you're a good scientist and respect your science and, you know, like having that as your group is super helpful, right? Like, of course, when I was applying for here, a lot of people already knew me or knew of me or Mm -hmm. not, you know, not necessarily. I didn't work with everybody, you know, who's the hiring part. But I think establishing that network, no matter what helps you uh, in the long run, like I, I know... I don't know, right after I finished my PhD, sometimes Ali would email with me. Oh, I heard there was a position here. You should go see them. You know, like, so getting those group of people who are looking out for you, too, and, you know, want you to succeed, I think, is super important, especially in this more competitive job market that we have right now, right? Like, you have to have those people who really think you're, you know, a a scientist that that can go somewhere with, with what you have.
0: I was going to ask if there's any advice that you would give to somebody that's getting to become a professor. I feel like you cover most of it, but if you have any that you think you want to add to.
2: Yeah, getting to know lots of people, networking, exposing yourself to many labs. Uh, I think, you know, while that's all good, you really have to work hard. Even when you don't, you know, have something due. I think that. That consistent, working hard, that's part of what gets people to r- realize that you're a good scientist and, and you know, and, and want to, ha- you know, promote you and, and, yeah. and help you in the future. And that, that'll get you far. And the other thing I think is to look for opportunities as they come. So even if you have a goal, right, sometimes you might not be able to go in a straight line. Yes. So really be looking for your opportunities and what will work best for you at that time. You know, not being afraid to take a little jog if you need to and and come back to to what your aim is. Uh, So persevering, that's a big one. Uh, After I had my children, I did have several people kind of say, are you sure you want to come back for your PhD? Like, that seems like a lot of work now. Like, why would you, you know, and... uh, but it, in my heart, I knew that that was, you know, what my aim was, and I didn't want to, you know, deviate fully from it, even if I had to take a little bit of a different route to get there.
0: Yeah, and it worked out in the end, so that's yes. that's yeah. terrific. <laughs> um, and I guess before we move into industry, mm-hmm. um, we would just like to know, like, what is your favorite thing so far about being a PI? Like, the, new, the, the thing that you like the most about your job so far.
2: Okay. Okay, so one of the, I think one of the... the things I like the most is really being able to direct your own research completely. In academia uh, you can identify something you know that is a lack of knowledge in this area something we need to and you can pursue it right you can write a grant on it you can can try and uh, try and get that question answered and uh, I I feel like you know that's not something you get to do in a lot of jobs right you get to like identify where you want to go and make it happen Uh, there's not too many jobs like that but the other thing I really love about my job is you do something different every day and you never get bored. Well,
0: oh, that's awesome.
2: Uh, yeah, I like there's no boredom in being a PI. If you're bored and being a PI, I don't know, I don't yeah. think it's possible, <laughs> right? Because as I said, right, like there's new challenges all the time, yes. constant learning, right? Like so say you're an expert on this field, then you're going to have to write a grant on this field, get an expert in that field. And there's, there's just so many different aspects to it, right? Uh, building your lab doing the science, writing your grants, you know, I'm on all kinds of committees and Mm -hmm. reviews for papers and scholarships and all these things, right? So uh, I think it's quite exciting. It's an exciting job because there's so much variance in what you do.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all of your experience in terms of um, being in academia and being a UPI, mm-hmm. so I guess now we want to move on to more about your experience in industry research would you be able to comment on your role in a biotech company and the type of industry research that you undertook uh, yeah of course um
2: so I I did uh, research and development in a small biotech and um, I actually really loved this role Uh, and I was a little bit surprised because I was very used to academia and wasn't sure you know would industry be the same but it could be because I was in research and development which is you know I think an area in which you you do have a a lot more leeway to go Mm -hmm. into the science of things and figure things out so I did enjoy this and there was a lot of uh, science involved, but there's also a lot of managing teams involved, which is something I'd always liked doing and, uh, you know, mentoring uh, and, you know, uh, getting, getting a group together who could efficiently do science, investigate questions. Uh, so, you know, it was different from academia, but there was a lot of the, the same factors went into making it yes. successful. Uh, I will say some of the differences might be that, You work at a much faster pace. Uh, And this is partly a resource-driven thing, right? Mm -hmm. The more resources you have, the faster pace you can go, right? Like, so, whereas in academia, we do an experiment with 20 animals or something, right? Within uh, industry, you would have... Four team members do it on 120, oh, wow. you know, and so you would complete what you would do normally in two months, you'd do it in two weeks. Uh, so it made it very exciting. So I think industry research can be quite exciting. The other thing, uh, difference might be um, you really have to change quickly or adapt to changing priorities because you're not necessarily the one making the priorities, right? You have a team of other scientists or vice VPs, et cetera, indicating the areas in which you need to go into, and and business is is driving that choice as well. You really have to be, right, okay, this is what we're doing right now, and then in a very short period of time, it might be, oh, we're not doing that anymore. Now we're gonna do this, you know? Uh, So you really have to be able to quickly adapt. And, yeah, and I mentioned that the managing of a team, I think, is extremely important. But I think that is something that goes across both fields. You know, you you really, that ability is useful and helpful to get the science done. Mm
1: Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that apart from the flexibility and the teamwork skills, is there any other skills that you think are necessary for you to be successful in industry, like communication skills or anything
2: Mm -hmm. else? Yeah, there was so communication is slightly different right so mm-hmm. our form in academia the main form of communication is mm-hmm. right writing a research yes. paper um you know going to a conference and pres- mm-hmm. presenting your findings mm-hmm. right in business all those skills you know are still extremely useful mm-hmm. right uh, so you are writing reports instead of writing scientific papers or you might write scientific papers too sometimes, uh, but then you're, you're presenting to companies or you're presenting to the, the higher-ups the, the findings, right? So, you know, like I think those skills will help you, particularly in industry. There, there was some skills, I think, that were a little bit different that I wouldn't get here, that in industry were very... Uh, key and that is really the business side of things but there's a lot of regulatory control Mm -hmm. and um, Mm -hmm. you know like the business side of things is is much different right like you have to get FDA approval for this or you have to get right so there's yes GMP quality things right so all of that was kind of new for me we really had never done anything like that so I enjoyed getting exposure to that but for me personally right i know some people like actually in the company loved that side of it and wanted to go totally in it for me the science was still the most exciting part
0: i guess uh one of my questions that i have is going into industry was it what you expected
2: so i would say it was a little bit different than i expected it to be because it was uh, because it was a small biotech firm it was still i think more academic than some other uh, industry type positions might be because I do have friends in other type of industries mm-hmm. and it's a little different when you work for a huge firm mm-hmm. that's very prescribed right yeah you know so I will say like if, if you really like the science side of it I think a smaller biotech would be more for you mm-hmm. because right it, they're still in the exploratory phases right they're really developing new new knowledge uh, themselves right which is uh, exciting if you like the, the science part of it mm-hmm. yeah.
0: You had the experience in the, biotech, in the biotech world and going into industry. I was wondering, um, kind of seeing, because you were a scientist, right? So you kind of mm-hmm. got to see some of the hiring that happened mm-hmm. like, around you and then also in positions, such as so research. Uh, what are the other positions?
2: Oh, yeah. The, yeah, so what can you be in a company? So, so generally, you can get positions at any different level of education. You know, we had people with undergraduate degree. They would be usually like more of a technical kind of help. You teach them something and, you know, they would do it more repetitively, right? But uh, then you might have somebody with more practical experience, yes, right? And in industry, they really value that. Maybe you don't have a master's degree, but you worked for five years in this area and are really great at it, and they'll hire you at a higher position for that, right? So you can be a postdoc in, especially in uh, some of the, you know, more uh, small firms like ours was. Uh, You can be a research associate, research assistant. So usually research assistant might have a master's research associates you usually have PhDs and might be, you know, hoping to move into scientist positions. Right. And you have scientists which are, you know, you often go from scientist one, two, three. Usually those have PhDs. You know, and then there's the, the vice president of research or the president of research and development. And, and in those positions, it would be either you might have been a PI for several years and developed this technology. Um, often you've worked for other, you know, biotechs and made your way up through that scientist to, to VP to that. And then there's a whole other group of, of the business side of things. So I would say, right, you know, a small portion of your company is on the science side. The other side expands even more rapidly uh, because you need all the people to support this. Yes.
0: So you have the a whole research, regulatory
2: yeah. de- uh, department, a whole product development uh, department, right? So there's also quality uh, specialists. So as scientists, you can also get involved in, in being on that side of it. So you don't have to be in research and development. Maybe you're in production Right, because in our case production might be a biological, right, Mm -hmm. which means you need to have a lot of scientific knowledge Knowledge and process development uh, knowledge, right? We had engineers in the company, like, uh, to work on that kind of thing too. I guess that's also something I hadn't had exposure to, all the different uh, positions you can really take on, depending on you know your specialty areas within a company. So I, I think that's important, an important message for people going through in science, doing masters or a PhD. Maybe they don't want to be in academia, but there are a lot of different entry-level positions. And, and I do think it's an expanding area in Canada, and there seem to be a lot uh, more positions in the U.S. To, to transition to, if you have like a master's degree in science or something, like that. But it is developing uh, Toronto has quite a, quite a bit of small biotech now. Yeah,
0: it seems like it's becoming more of a biotech hub.
2: Yeah, so I do think there are, you know, if that is something you're more interested in than academia, there are positions within that. And uh usually it'll be driven by what you have knowledge in. So you're looking for good people just overall, but uh if you have, you know, if the is working in whatever, HIV, right? The Mm -hmm. fact that you have a master's degree in HIV will get you in that door. Okay,
0: so the background that you have in the research that you've done like does play a significant role kind of what you can land for
2: sure so you either have to get in because you know someone right and they'll look at your resume or, or know that you're a good scientist even if you might not have that exact background mm-hmm. or you have that exact background and they know that you can do the kind of or have a you know have knowledge about the kind of things that they are pursuing as well right so like right now if you had studied coronaviruses you would be very in <laughs> oh, demand yes, right of there's kind of these topical areas where if you have experience in that that really sets you above you know some of the others and that's definitely what we're looking for in hiring too right so if we're hiring cold like you know not by you know someone who knows you know which which does happen a lot in science right because we are a smaller community you do know people mm-hmm. and you'll try and get the people you know are would excel in this position but if, if that's not the case then it's having the the desired skills that that are in there right so yeah you can get in based upon your the skills that you have Sure,
1: that kind of points back to the point you made earlier how you want to try to get a good skill set of techniques during your training experience. So you want to like learn various different things, right? That's very yes. important
2: for the future, for sure. Right? So, even if yeah, you're not sure where you're going, mm-hmm. right? Never turn down the opportunity to, to learn, learn something, Do something new, and, yeah, uh, yeah, to, to really get into that. It helped during my PhD we had somebody who was doing influenza. So I'm like, oh, you didn't know how to do mice. I'm like, okay, I'll do your, you know, I'll learn influenza and do that with you too, you know. And it really, right, that helps me now because I'm like doing virus and infectious disease, right? So you never know where something is, is going to take you. And yeah, just get exposure to as many things as possible because it will help you,
1: you know, down the road. We just want to end off with our final question. And that is, looking back, coming out of undergrad and now and upi if you had to give yourself one piece of advice what do you think that would be i guess to
2: to to trust in your in your efforts and your hard work and know you can get there right like that's you know if you want to have that long career you really have to put in the time put in the effort and yeah i guess i would tell myself yeah keep going because yeah sometimes right like after you have two kids and you are you know it it can be oh i just you know i cannot but like for me to get to where i wanted to be and and to be happy in what i'm doing and you know i I really had to persevere and and trust that that
1: i could get there Mm -hmm. that's kind of i always tell myself like love the process so love everything you're doing not just your end goal because then you'll be happy once you get there i've actually never
2: worked in a job that i did not enjoy you know, and, and it makes it easy to, to work hard and, you know, do your best because you're actually enjoying it. And uh, I think I, I know I tell my kids that all the time. I'm like, well, you got to figure out what you'd like to do. Yeah. Because if you like to do it, then yeah, everything's good, right? Like, mm-hmm. it might take you longer to get there, it might not. But if you're doing what you like to do, then.
0: It's hard to go wrong with that. It's hard to go yeah. wrong with
2: that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right? Like, and it wasn't that I really actually enjoyed the industry, and I probably could could be happy there still. And if I am an academia, and I'm enjoying that. So I think, yeah, you have to take your opportunities and, and yeah, live
1: in them. Okay. Well, thank you very much for yeah. everything.
0: Thank you, Amy. That's been a wonderful. No problem.
1: Thanks for having me. <laughs>
0: so welcome back everyone we would first like to thank uh dr amy gilgrass for a wonderful interview we found that she just did an amazing job in showcasing just her journey to becoming a faculty position and that it would be very helpful for anyone that's thinking about following that trajectory i think that she highlighted that the many different aspects and turns that your life can take in order to get to that position that sometimes we find in science that it's always you know a straight line from point a to point b but Life's a windy road and it's those turns that really give you an experience that might highlight your resume in the end when you're applying to that big position at the end of the day
1: and guys follow us on our twitter which is at immuno and beyond with a capital n not an and Uh, please leave us some comments and reviews as well as if you guys have any ideas for future guests also you guys can follow the mcmaster immunology research center twitter account which is at mac immunology as we will also be sharing some information through there
0: and this was your weekly dose of immunology